Good, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. I uh, appreciate you guys being here this week. I am not sick. I just have a, a loss of a voice because I decided to cheer for the Yankees and it didn't prove anything. I made a foolish mistake for cheering for them on that home run in that last game when they lost to the Astros. And so we know all about the Astros, uh, what they're doing to not only my team, but to even this team here in this area. So we have to, uh, we have to just, I'm sorry, you have to endure me for just a couple of minutes today. But uh, we've been talking about holy ambition in the last five weeks or so. Pastor Dennis handled part four and appreciate him, did a great job. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about this week and the last week about the importance of having a heart devoted to God, that worship definitely involves every bit of part of what we do. It's not just compartmentalized on Sunday mornings. In fact... I don't even want to call it worship songs more than just song times of worship to our God because worship involves everything. And so it's important for us to keep that in mind. So this week we're going to be talking about Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. And as we work through that, we'll see as it progresses because there are three sections within this passage understanding about how we need to be in tune with God. And so I want to encourage you and and, and just kind of paying attention as we move through this, ver through this passage today. And I want to share a clip with you, kind of a, a familiar clip to some of you, maybe a little bit older like me, who remembers of, of these, a comic routine of these three men, and a recent movie that came out in about the last seven, eight years uh, that will hopefully make you laugh a little bit. Let's look at this. Hey, quit horsing around, you two. You're disturbing my coffee break. Oh, boy, donuts. Where's mine? They're small. Why don't you have two? Okay. Oh, now look what you did, Bo! You got donuts stuck in my ears! Hey, you're in luck. I got a donut remover right here. What's a donut remover? It's one of these. Donut remover. Huh. What are the odds of that? Hey, Mugwump! Mother Superior's looking for you! Yeah, let me get him. Is that Sister Mary Mangala? I don't know, but the face rings a bell. Ah, <laughs> okay, all right. Well, we're, we're having some fun because we have to talk a little bit about the difference between a foolish person and a wise person. As we look at this passage, we have to understand that. But I entitled the sermon this week is Stay Tuned, like, you know, because it's important for us to do so in our walk with Christ and it's important to understand, so as we look at this passage, we have to understand what does it mean to be in tune with God through the power of the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean to live a life that's surrendered to God as a wise person versus a foolish person? And how do we stay tuned? Because sometimes we can be out of tune with God, as the world who's far away from God can be out of tune and don't even know it. So we'll talk a little bit about this. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. And before we go there, we have to look at the passage. We have to understand the background. We have to understand what's being said. So first of all, we know that the author is Paul in chapter 1, verse 1. And then we, we know from history and just looking at it, it was written around 60 to 62 AD. And this was written at the time when Paul was imprisoned. 
In fact, some of these letters that he wrote, like Colossians and Philemon, were written from prison. They're called the prison epistles. And so when we're looking at this particular letter that he was writing, we have to understand the background. How did the church start? Well, it started with Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18. And as it started to work with a husband and wife, it began to progress because the city, as you have to understand, Ephesus, one of the major well-known figures there was the, the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The city was vitally important at the time for its political influence, educational influence, and commercial influence. Much went through this city for commercial gain and success. It was comparable to the Alexandrian city in Egypt for its impact in southern Asia Minor. Paul pastored this church in his third missionary journey, as we see in Acts chapter 19, for three years. And then he handed it off to his protege, Timothy, which Timothy remained for 18 months, as we would see, hence writing the, the letters First and Second Timothy. So as we see the backdrop, we have to understand. Now, when you're looking at this book, there's two sections. The first three chapters are theology proper, about who God is, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and our essence of our relationship with God or salvation, the, the importance of that. And then the second part of the book, four through six, is practical theology, how we live it out, deriving from the theology proper, deriving from our relationship with God, deriving from the fact that he gave us salvation through his son, and then now we're positioned in Christ, and in our positioning that we would understand it's positional sanctification, walking with him and loving him and enjoying him, yielding to the Holy Spirit, walking, dying to self, and then living a practical life. But it's not always easy. And so when we see this idea of practicality, Paul, when he was writing this, he was dealing with a city that was prevalent in its temple prostitution, where they would use a temple in order to have a working of prostitution, outward sex, and that was laid out in its, in its sense of visual. And people were just all kinds, all kinds that were laid out in this city. The immorality, it was heinous. And when we hear or think about it even today, there, it's around the world that we don't even hear about that. Even the news can't even cast it out. Or we look at the false teaching about Jesus Christ, even in First and Second Timothy. Remember, a false teaching is speaking half-truths. So they may speak one element of Jesus, but they may not speak another element that's true. And, that, and that's how we do it, sales marketing. How they get you in to buy their product is bringing forth a half-truth. They reel you in with that half-truth, and we're enticed by it, thinking, oh, it's true, let me get it. And then when we find out, as we look at the fine print, we've been taken, we've been had, as we would say. And so you have to understand. And then there was an asceticism, a Jewish asceticism, where you, you and I, at the time, we would understand it as it was understood, that you would gain righteousness by withholding yourself from evil. So you would not be involved in an environment of evil, any kind of appearance of evil. Therefore, because I'm doing that, I'm now gaining righteousness or position with God. I think about this today as Christians. Do we often think of that? That we, we withhold ourselves from doing the wrong thing, thinking that we've gained brownie points with God. As though we can check it off and say, God loves me more today because I've not done anything wrong. 
And that's why they even went so far to saying they didn't want to get involved with Gentiles because as they're growing up, they were told that Gentiles were unclean. Even in the Old Testament, it would say that. But what about today? And we see unbelievers because the Jews didn't want to come anywhere in their vicinity in the realm of a Gentile thinking they would be contaminated with evil or uncleansiness. Their conscience would be contaminated. But yet we see that even today as we think about as believers, do, are we afraid to get involved with unbelievers thinking they may contaminate us? So therefore we withhold from them and any evil practices, not interested in reaching out to them, thinking God's interested in that. That's pharisaical teaching. <clears throat> that is a work that only will never ever gain righteousness in God's eyes. And will pull us farther away from the work that God wants to do in through us. So we have to understand and recognize that to be staying tuned with God, we have to understand what does that look like. Well, we first have to look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Let's walk through this for a second. It says, look carefully then how you walk. I mean, how you live. The word is to live. Not as unwise, a fool, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. The best use of time, in the Greek it means to redeem your time, to use it for a redemptive purpose. The best that you can get the most out of it. And the word evil simply means to be morally and socially worthless, degenerate. So in God's eyes, it would never come across, and we have to see it's worthless. There's no value in following evil. So we have to consider the time. And so as we look at the person who may be foolish, we see that within the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, the foolish person we look at is one who is unaccountable. Now, before we understand what unaccountable is, we have to understand the definition of foolishness. This is what foolishness is. As I looked up the definition, is when someone acts without wisdom or sense. A foolish decision is one made without careful reasoning or judgment. An act of foolishness is called folly, sim similar to what you might have seen with the Three Stooges. Or a person who shows foolishness may be called a fool. But it is different to stupidity, which is the lack of intelligence. So it's not as though one who acts like a fool is stupid or unintelligent or ignorant. It just simply means that one would know but doesn't act with great judgment and makes a reactive decision. It's not often that one who is a fool is responsive. They're often reactive. They don't think. They don't work through it. And that's where accountability comes from. As we look at it, we see a verse here in Psalm 10, 11. It says, and he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Meaning the fool doesn't think he's accountable. The fool thinks that God is not interested in him. In fact, you would understand that a fool may even say something to the effect that, you know, yeah, I know there's some kind of spiritual being that has created all of us, but he wouldn't care about me because I am not a good person, and he wouldn't accept me. He's turning his head away from me. See, a fool thinks, well, God's turning his head away from me. He's not holding me accountable. He's only holding accountable to the people that follow him, but not me. You know, even it says in Psalms 14:1, it says that a fool believes there's no God. But actually, in the Hebrew, what that means is not that he doesn't believe that he exists. It's believing that he's, he's unconcerned about him. And so if he thinks or she thinks he's unconcerned with him, then he thinks or she thinks 
God is not interested in relationship with me, which is far, way far from the truth, because God is always interested in relationship. Here's another thing that really just kind of took me away. See, a fool is also unwise, as it says in this passage, but Proverbs 17, 16 says, why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Meaning, if he had money, he wouldn't buy it. He wouldn't even care for wisdom. Why? Because he or she is looking at tangible items, materialism, anything to gain for he or she, or, or she wanting to advance he or she in, in the life, the agenda. Meaning, a fool doesn't care about wisdom because there's no monetary, tangible value to it. Is it going to make me more money? Do I really need to be wise? Hey, I just need to be rich. Just give me some money. Money, money, money. Finish it. Okay, all right, because I don't have the voice. But here's the thing. Money, money's always on him. You know, even our president, when he had a show, he would walk down, money, money, money. You know, they would come up with it because money always seems to be the subject. But a fool's not interested in wisdom. And that's important for us to understand. Lastly, what we understand about the fool is that he's unteachable. Look at this verse right here. It says this, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. And so it's understood that the wise person is what would never, ever, ever do that. We'll learn that in a second. But the foolish person, often I think of, and I thought about it this week, I said, man, a foolish person. How would, how would they be portrayed as an arrogant person? And so then I said, let me look that up and see what arrogance means. Arrogance means this, having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. So an arrogant person just exaggerates about what they can do or what they can put together. They think they can do something, but they often can't. They're unteachable, meaning they're saying, I don't need to learn from you. I'm good. In fact, I think this is my subjective thinking, is that the person believes advice equals unintelligence. So therefore, I don't need your advice because then you're telling me I'm stupid. But that's not what an arrogant, that's what an arrogant person thinks, but that's not the case. And so, in fact, this is probably one of their favorite sayings. If you have, you're a parent, you may hear a child say this, not that a kid can be arrogant, but they don't want to learn from their parents. But they can say, I got this. I can handle this. See, often we can say that in our minds. I got this. I don't need anybody. I can handle this. That's unteachable. And I've taught even my children. I've taught other people. saying, I've learned from that myself over the years. Being 51 now, I've learned that you can't live like that. You'll be a lone ranger. And when you're alone, we'll never be able to really be the person we can be or accomplish a goal that we can accomplish unless we work together. And so it's important to understand it. So what's the wise person? Well, simply stated, he or she's a learner. I mean, they, this person loves evaluation. Watch this. Do not reprove a scoffer, a fool, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. That's the wise person, the one who wants to learn. Young people, let me encourage you. If your parents are trying to help you, it's not because they want to tell you they know better. That's not what it is. I'm a parent. I understand. They want to help you. You would be wise to take their leading in your lives. Why? Because we've been through it already. We understand what it means to be 
making so many mistakes in our lives. We've made so many, we don't want you to make that mistake. Maybe sometimes you need to make that mistake. Maybe you need to go back to the stove and actually get your hand burnt to understand that it's on and you're not supposed to touch it when it's on. And so it's important for us to understand that the wise person would love evaluation, would love assessment, reproof, and rebuke because he or she knows it's going to make them better. See, there's no room for a lone ranger like a coach. A coach a head coach, a manager, a coach of a basketball team in professional sports, they have other coaches. They talk it over. They go back to the video room. They ask for advice. They tell me, hey, what's going on here? What are you doing? I don't understand. I didn't see this. Did you see this? I'm so blessed to have an incredible team, to be next to a man when I work with closely with Pastor Dennis, to be with a staff. When I ask for advice, when I ask them, what do you guys think? When I ask an elder team, what do you guys think? What are we doing? What are we thinking? Let's talk this out. Because we make each other better by asking for advice. We make each other better when we're working as a team. No lone rangers here. We got to work together as a team because then we can advance the cause for the kingdom of God. Coaches do the same thing. A head coach, when he has to make the final decision, always talks to his coaches. And same thing with basketball managers. They always have their coaches around them. Have you ever noticed it? Watch the game tonight. When you see Dave Martinez, who's around him? His bench coach, his first base coach, his third base coach, his hitting coach. even has his trainer next to him. He's got a connection to the bullpen coach. He talks to his coaches. says, what do you guys think? What should I do in this situation? He's not alone. And that's what we have to understand. We have to be learners. Secondly, a wise person listens to advice. I'm sorry, excuse me. Listens to advice and learning and growing. And that's, that's the key to that. That's why I was saying in Proverbs, the wise of the heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. So that means that wise person is receiving, listening, listening to advice, hearing what the other person has to say. Even if he or she who's the coach has to make the final decision, working together as a team. So then we go on to the next section. Remember that these are sections. 5, 15 through 16 is one section. Here comes another, another section in this passage. Now it says this. Look with me at verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I thought about this because really... The question has to be asked. Why do people get drunk with wine? Foolish. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a little bit of a different perspective, okay? Think about it now. Because of connection and community with people. I mean, they, people get out of work. They have pressure all week long. They're struggling. They had the pressure, the difficulty of, of a job. I remember I used to be before Christ when I was working even at 19 years old as a car salesman. The struggles being yelled at or just being questioned. The fact that I was a car salesman, everybody thought I was a crook. So it was like all of a sudden I had all these pressures. And then what we do? Go, yo, you want to go to the bar? Yeah, let's go to the bar. Let's go hang out to the club. It was connection. It was community. We share all of our struggles and our difficulties with one another. That's why people turn to drinking wine. And wine is just one element, but it's hard liquor. But it's foolish, but a person does that to try to find hope, to try to talk with other people. Let's be real here, but this is what else they look for. They're trying to find identity. When I used to do it, there was an identity in hanging out with people. 
You know Cheers, the old show. Where everybody knows your name. You know what I'm saying? There's identity. You get to know one another. You begin to, you know, identify with each other, struggling with difficulties and trials. And so people would begin to drink, and when they do, because they're struggling. They say millennials today, it's not midlife crisis anymore. Now millennials are saying they're dealing with quarter-life crisis. They're dealing with disappointments, loneliness, depression, comparing themselves to one another. The pressure of identity, the pressure of succeeding, the pressure of becoming someone important goes on and on and on. So what do they do? They turn to wine to unwind. I mean, that's what it is. Even the brain activity involving, it slows down the brain so they don't have to think about the problems and the pressures of life. And lastly, it's a stress reliever. I mean, let's be honest. We know that. It's a stress reliever. Forget your problems until tomorrow. I mean, the brain gets relief. It's said that alcohol is a pain reliever and the ability to depress the central nervous system. That's why people look to it. And the Bible makes it clear. It doesn't say don't drink wine. It says don't get drunk. Meaning there's an influence behind. Also, there's a toleration of it too. A toler- it's called the tolerance factor. If you drink more, your body can tolerate more. But the foolish thing is, which you don't realize, is that your organs in your bodies will deteriorate. Often we find out from different celebrities when they die of pancreatic cancer or liver disease, you'll see in their past they drank too much. Some of the heroes of TV dads that got caught up in it. And it seemed that that's what was the case. It would lean toward liver disease. And so we know it's, it can be a foolish thing to do. But we have to understand what's the next thing. It says, what does Paul command believers? Or why does he command uh, believers to be filled with the Spirit? It's wise. Why? Well, let me just share this. There's three perspectives here in its interpretation, in the interpretive ma- manner of this, pa- of this particular phrase. It says you can be filled with the Spirit, which is the content of the Holy Spirit. You can be filled because we know you're baptized with the Spirit at the initial point of salvation, and then you're to be led by the Spirit in your walk in sanctification. You can be filled by the Spirit, the means by, the access by why you go through the Spirit, or be filled in the Spirit, the realm of the Spirit. See, I see it all three, and I see it that here's the thing. We're to be commanded to be filled with the Spirit. If we have the Spirit of God living in us, we're to be filled with it. But here's what causes the Spirit to be pulled away. It's called being that we grieve and quench the Spirit. That the Bible speaks of it, even Ephesians chapter 113 and 430. And it means this, quenched and grieve means to offend, insult, or irate the Holy Spirit. Meaning our sin, we could do two things. We can continue sinning which is jealousy, envy, pride, arrogance. The list goes on in Galatians 5, 19 and 21. It could be malice, slander, gossip. Or it could be surrender, a surrendering to God, dying to self, sacrificing, submitting, pursuing purity, confessing sin, calling what sin is sin, depending on God's word. See, then we go back to this list. Now, all of a sudden, We're filled with the Spirit, and we have connection and community with God, not with each other, but first with God. 
And then we see that, secondly, we find our identity in Christ. We are in Christ. We're positioned in Christ. Therefore, if we're filled with the Spirit, then we're going to live out what we're positioned in. We're not out of tune. We're in tune with God. And then lastly goes this, understanding the will of God, like in verse 17, understanding the will of God, because we know, we even talked about it as elders this past week, we talked about it in our devotional time, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Wow. So now the will of God, we understand the will of God, is walking with God, dying to self, yielding, confessing sin. You and I want to be empowered by God to do his will. We want to be used of God to reach the people in the world. We want to see great things happen here. We've got to be surrendered to God. We've got to be submitted. We've got to be close in connection with God. We've got to be in tune with the Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. That's what's going to carry us out to do the message of what God's called us. So we have the first section, 5 through 16. Second section, 17 and 18. Now we have 19 through 21. And 19 through 21 are, are subordinate to filled with the Spirit. They're participles in the Greek that's subordinate. They're subordinating to that, that phrase, filled with the Spirit. So now it's not by means of what 19, 20, and 21 says. It's not that we do these things and then we get filled in the Spirit They're the results of it. So therefore, when we're filled in the Spirit, we'll begin to do this. And now this is important because too often we don't understand how significant this is. When you look at verse 19 right here, you see it says, addressing one another in psalms, which is praise songs from the Old Testament. Or hymns are just religious content of songs. It's just religious content. It's not the music. It's the religious content. And spiritual songs are that which you focus on the divine that's being filled with the spirit. That are songs that speak of that. Again, content. Seeking, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know the word making music, making melody. In the Greek it simply says this. To sing a song with or without accompaniment instruments. Meaning it has nothing to do with the music. You and I have to have a music in our heart for God. It's got to be made in our heart before we get here. You and I, when we're filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden now, it doesn't matter what you sing, as long as the words, the content, would start to really get you going. Jesus is Lord. That should get you excited. That God sent his son to die on the cross for sin. That should get you excited for the grace And the mercy of God, that should get you excited. Because when you get grace, you and I get grace, we want to share grace with everyone else. It's important to understand that the music is in our hearts. It's not about the music. And the scriptures are cleared on this because that's what Paul is saying here. That's the intent of the passage. It has nothing to do with the music. When God God uses music, it should stir us in the words. Because if you play music and the words are not content and, or there's not content that's religious or spiritual, then we're not going to sing it. And we are to do something here. Now, let me tell you something why. Music is either in tune or out of tune. And I know 99.9%, not ivory soap, but 99.9% of you would like to hear music that's in tune. Because when you listen to it, it is a beautiful sound. God created it. And it's necessary for us when we sing a song that we can get in tune with the spirit and in tune with the words. 
But I'm going to share this, this audio file with you. There's two instruments playing. One is a keyboard and one is a saxophone. One is in tune and one is out of tune. And let's just listen to it and see how it sounds. Guys, go ahead. scratching your hands against a chalkboard. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Clap to the awful music. But now, here's the thing. I went to a concert once, one of my favorite groups when I was a young kid, and they were so out of tune with their voices. There was no harmony going on. It was so opposite of what the record was playing. I said to myself, I'll never go to a concert again. I wasted all that money to hear these guys. And they were a well-known, you know, national group, um, really popular. I said, never again, because it was awful. I mean, I wasted my money on hearing these guys sing off-key. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than that when people are out of tune with God. See, you got to understand something. Can you imagine, see, when we sin before, not if, but when, and we sin before God, what does it sound like to God's ears when we sin? What does it sound like to the Holy Spirit when he's irate? What does it sound like when we grieve and quench? Is his ears ringing with disgust? I mean, was this what we were intended to be? See, God's called each one of us to live in tune with him, not out of tune. And see, Paul lays it out in these verses quite nicely. Look with me, and the key word here in verse 18 about being filled with the Spirit, because these are the results of, is the word influence. What are you influenced by? What is tuning you up? See, um, how does a person get in tune with the Spirit? It's really this simple. I mean, he lays it right out so nicely here in, in verse 19. See, in tune means... Speaking and teaching and exhorting and praising God, but exhorting each other and teaching each other, instructing one another in the word, instructing one another to stay in tune with the spirit of the living God, instructing one another to be filled with the spirit of God. Again, look at this passage, addressing, speaking, teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, which is in tune with the spirit. This is a result of, very important. Now, Here's a parallel passage. You've got to understand when Paul wrote Ephesians, 
Colossians, there was a parallel. If you see all the chapters, a verse, chapters 1, 2, and 3 with a couple of the passages in Ephesians, they're parallel. Here's a parallel passage that Paul wrote. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which is not about the music but about the words, with thankfulness for your hearts to God. See, that's what it means to be in tune, but out of tune is looking for the praise of people, looking for attention from others. It's not looking to praise God, but it's looking to receive praise. See, that gets us out of tune with God. You know, even we know the Pharisees, this is what was spoken of in the Pharisees, John 12, 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So they're looking for the attention from man. Have you ever get caught there? Have you ever found yourself looking for everyone else to praise you rather than maybe you or I praising God? Have we ever gotten in that position where we're looking for someone else's attention rather than them giving attention to God? You know how we give attention to God? We confess our sin. We pursue holiness. We hunger and thirst for his presence. We, we continue to look to him in yielding and dying to self, recognizing that self needs to get out of the way. One of the things I pray, and I, I talked to my buddy through text this past week. He asked me how the church is going. I said, it's going really well. We're really, you know, thankful to God what he's doing. And I said, I know things are going well down in Houston with you. He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm just trying to get out of the way. He goes, I don't want to mess it up. I said, amen, bro. That's exactly my sentiments. I don't want to mess things up. I don't want to get in God's way. I don't, I'm going to make mistakes, but God never does. And the thing I need to do is focus on confessing my sin, yielding and submitting and dying to self, asking God to change me. Because I'm called, the leaders, all of us are called as leaders, the staff, we're called to lead. And we gotta, it's got to start with us. We never should ask you to do anything that we're not willing to do. So when I'm here passionate, it's because I'm asking God to do the same with me. It's important for us not to look to the praise of man. That's out of tune. In tune is always giving thanks to God for even each other. In one version, it says in the NET, giving God, giving God thanks for each other. I love that because even though the ESV might say it a little bit differently, the NET interjects the one another's, saying that when was the last time you were giving thanks to God for another person? Maybe you're in a marriage and you're not even doing that. Maybe you're in a relationship with a friend or a family member and you haven't done that. Maybe you're in a situation where you're, you're having a hard time thanking God for all the situations in your life. God is challenging each and every one of us. To be in tune with him is to give thanks to the Lord. That's why he said giving thanks always for everything to God. The Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just thanking God for being God and for his son, but thanking God for each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So understanding the will of God is being thankful. But it's a challenging thing. But just think, here's the last thing we have to understand too. Is the attitude is when we take God and people for granted. When was the last time you took your spouse for granted? When was the last time you took your children for granted? uh, Children. Teenagers, when last time you took advantage of your parents, took them for granted, tried to get something out of it, tried to get something from them in order to appease your agenda. You know, when you want certain food 
or you, you want them to do your homework for you, or you want them to do your chores for you, or you want them to pay for everything, always, never learning a lesson. You just want everything handed to you. Yeah, I know teenagers, I'm talking to you. Y'all just sitting there looking at me. But, you know, we, we need some help too. It's important to understand because what's out of tune is when we take God for granted and each other for granted. Lastly, in tune is submitting to one another in reverence to Christ. You know, submitting means this. It means the idea of just cause to be submissive in a relationship. Paul is setting this up for the next passage, which is about marriage, husbands and wives, and Christ and the church. So he's setting it up in verse 21 to go into the next passage that is talking importance, the importance of submitting. And so each one of us, we can't submit to one another in relationships if we're not submitting to God. So it's, it's important for us to understand that submission to God is vital and prior to our submission to one another. Appreciate one another. Thank God for each other. Because you're doing it in reference to Christ, not to, to appease your pride, to push it aside, but it's to do that. It's in reference. And the beauty of it is that when we understand that, then we understand that ministry, the church, is not individualistic, it's corporate. It's not authoritative, but submission. It's not the pride of a position, but a humble as a servant. That's what Christ is. Christ never pushed his authority. Only the Pharisees did. Christ was a submissive to the Father and humble unto the point of death. A servant. How much more do you and I have to be? I love what a commentator said in Tyndale about this passage and about this verse. He says, there must be a willingness in Christian fellowship to serve any, to learn from any, to be corrected by any regardless of age, sex, class, or any other division. That's the beauty of submission. You know, when we were talking about in and, in and out of tune, you know, I want to talk about a guitar, because we heard a keyboard and we heard about a, a saxophone, but a guitar. You know that if you play guitar, many of you who play out there don't, if you do, let us know, because it's important to understand that you have to change your strings. If they're too old, they can play out of tune. So you have to make sure your strings are replaced on a routine basis. If they're not, and you continue to play with old strings because you don't want to take the time to replace them nor to spend the money, you will play out of tune often. How does that liken to our walk with God? It's kind of like when you're hanging on to an old sermon or an old Bible study or an old devotion. It's not fresh and new every morning, spending time being filled with the Spirit. You're just hanging on to the old. The same thing with the guitar. You might be able to play it, but it's not going to play to its maximum impact. It's not going to make a great sound to what it's intended to do. And See, that's why we want to make sure that our strings are replaced. We want to be able to use new strings on our guitar so we can play well. What about if you strum too hard? You're forcing it, trying to get the sound to come out harder. You know, takes the string and it messes it up and it brings it out of tune. It's kind of likened to when we force God to do what we want him to do. We manipulate him or we try to. Or we manipulate others to do our, or to, to fulfill our agenda, our plan, what we want. Or lastly, it could be in your environment. You know that a guitar, if it's in too much heat, it's in a heat environment or in a cold environment, it can affect the strings to come in or out of tune. What's your environment like? 
What environment are you in that you don't need to be in? Are you in front of a computer and you're on a website you shouldn't be? Are you looking at certain guys? Are you looking at women that you shouldn't be looking at, even if they are not exposed nude? Are you doing things that you shouldn't be doing? Women, are you spending a lot of your time just searching and web browsing and just passing the time looking for more things instead of changing your environment? Spending that time with God, surrendering and submitting and being thankful for your husband, being thankful husband for your wife, being thankful for your children, being thankful for your job, being thankful for your neighbor, being thankful for your house, for your food, for the roof over your head, for being thankful for Jesus who gave us life, who's given us grace and mercy every day. Are you changing your environment? This is important because there's wisdom in staying in tune being filled with the Spirit. The fool thinks God doesn't exist. The fool thinks that God's not interested in them. The fool thinks they're not accountable. The fool thinks that he doesn't need anyone to teach him. See, I want to encourage you. See, holy ambition, here's the definition that we wrote out for these five weeks. A Christian on a passionate pursuit to know, love, and serve the Lord with a surrendered heart, making him famous throughout attitudes and actions, his glory and honor and his praise. See, you and I are no better than anyone else. An arrogant person thinks he is or she is. See, this last one where we got to be careful of being out of tune is this. Out of tune thinking we're better than any other person because we're not. You know, Philippians 2, 3 says this. And it says that, oh, shut that off, please, guys. The last thing, I, I, Philippians 2, 3 didn't come out on the screen. But let me just quickly read it to you. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You know what that phrase selfish ambition is? It's called Kino dogs on the Greek, empty glory. See, we need to have a holy ambition, not a kino dogza, a selfish ambition. My encouragement to you this week, what is keeping you out of tune? What is your tuner? See, guitar, they put a tuner next to them. Right, Tim? You put a tuner right there on your, on your guitar, and you're making sure your strings are working well and in tune. What's your tuner? I hope it's the Holy Spirit, because if you and I are grieving the Holy Spirit, we're missing out. I want to encourage you this week. What is the sin in your life that's stopping you? What's, what's the barricade? God wants to do that work in you and I. He wants to challenge us. Don't ignore it. Let's not think God, we're not accountable to God when we are. As the worship team is coming up, we want to be mindful of that today. So I want to ask you to bow, bow your heads and close your eyes. What is that one area in your life, that environment, something that you're holding on, an old Bible study? You're just kind of in a, in a place of apathy. You're not staying in tune with the Lord. You're out of tune. You're that saxophone player. You're not that keyboard player. What is it that's going to help you get out of that and get that, that saxophone tuned or guitar tuned? Where's your tuner? I want to encourage you this week.
Begin to spend time with the Lord. Confess your sin. Ask God to reveal something in your life. You and I want to be holy, ambitious people, really at our greatest impact for the kingdom of God. What's going on in your marriage? What's going on with your family? What's going on with your children? God wants to do that work. Let me pray for you and ask that God would begin to just strengthen you, to be courageous to ask him to do that work in you. Father, we just ask this week that you would help us, the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to tune us up. We need to be tuned and stay tuned with you. Holy Spirit, whatever grieves you, whatever's quenched you, please reveal that to us. If there's something in our marriage that we have to confess to our spouse, please, Lord, help us. Break down the walls of our hearts and draw us close to you this week. Do a work, Lord, so that Grace Church, your people, can be a corporate people together reaching the world for your kingdom's sake. God, we want to do that. Bless us this week. We look to you in Jesus' name.